Hello, and welcome back to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Seth Bodine, and joining me once again is Isabel Robles. Isabel, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be back, especially after the nice holiday weekend. How would you describe your reporting week in a singular word? A singular word. Hectic? It seems kind of expected, though, but it's true. Yeah. I'd say mine was probably quick. Yeah, that too. I can't believe it's already Thursday. Yeah. Wow, Friday. How time flies when you're podcasting and having fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get started. All right. First, we'll take a look at this week's headlines in startup news. Then we'll get to talk with Kevin McGinnis, CEO of Keystone Innovation District, which promotes entrepreneurship from Kansas City. I'll share my interview with Kristen Williams, the founder, CEO, and creative director of the startup Hemsley. And we'll round up the episode by looking at the important numbers in this week's startup news. But first, the news. Isabel, what have you got? Well, WeWork, the global co-working space operator, is opening a second location in Kansas City. It will open by the end of the year in the Lightwell Building downtown. WeWork told Startland News that the space will have private offices for larger, high-growth companies will cover 101,000 square feet over two floors. The Missouri Technology Corporation will increase funding for Missouri startups in its new fiscal year. This week, the board approved a budget of $2.5 million for IDEA funds. High-tech companies headquartered in Missouri can apply for these funds, which support business growth in science and technology. And another note on the MTC, board chairman Jason Hall announced this week that the organization hopes to start its search for a permanent director in August. A Minneapolis-based angel investing firm has expanded to Kansas City. Sophia Fund, which invests in women-owned companies, has hired a Kansas City-based manager, Laura McCoolidge. McCoolidge was previously the managing director of Mid-America Angels. Sophia Fund has invested more than $10 million in 50 companies since 1998. That's all for this week's headlines. Kevin McGinnis is concerned about his hometown keeping up with its peer cities. McGinnis is a former Sprint executive, and he's been active in Kansas City's startup scene for several years. Yep, and now he's the CEO of Keystone Innovation District. McGinnis envisions the district as a central hub for entrepreneurship in Kansas City. Missouri Business Alert's Rashi Shavastava chatted with McGinnis recently about his vision. I'm in the heart of downtown Kansas City at Plexford Crossroads, where the stories of innovation are written and told. I'm joined by Kevin McGuinness, the CEO of Keystone Innovation District. So I want to start with the story of the Keystone Innovation District. What it is and how did it come to being? What is the inspiration behind the project? So our role is to plan, develop, and operate an innovation community in downtown Kansas City. Um, one of my prior roles was vice president of product at Sprint. And one of the things that we were trying to understand was how can you better as a large corporation innovate? When we changed CEOs in 2014, um, we wanted to change the model of the Sprint Accelerator. And we were looking for other corporate partners to come in. And that's really where we started to get the idea of uh, one corporation engaging in the ecosystem is a good thing. If you could get multiple corporations to engage together, then not only do you have the benefit of more big companies working with small companies, but you also get the benefit of big companies working together. And so started touring the country, trying to understand how do other cities do this? Because it's not a new model, but it's something that Kansas City doesn't have yet. 
So in looking around the country, instead of doing one innovation center, just a single building, what really appealed, because we have workforce challenges, we have corporate engagement challenges, we have an entrepreneurial density challenge here in Kansas City because we're so spread out, the idea was if we could build a place, like other um, cities have done, these innovation districts where you have universities, corporations, entrepreneurs, risk capital, all in this like tightly built neighborhood, you start to see those collisions that really um, escalate uh, and accelerate the number of enterprise or innovation-driven companies. Workforce development happens faster. You start to see commercialization of um, research out of the universities and see that start to stay local. And so all of those things kind of went into the creation of Keystone. Why is it called Keystone? So today, when you look at the economics of Kansas City, we are growing at about half the rate of our 30 peer cities. And if that continues in 20 years, we'll be on a different list of cities. The reason that we named it Keystone, there were really two reasons. Um, one is kind of a, a nod to a historical story in Kansas City. And the other one is a, a Keystone is actually, it's either the last stone that you put into a stone arch and it kind of bridges the two sides and provides strength. Or it's a species, from a biology term, it's a species that optimizes an ecosystem. And so we want we don't want to replace programs. We don't want to necessarily consolidate them or um, you, you know do something like create programs that already exist in Kansas City. What we want to become is just something that helps optimize what's already here. So how far have you come since the time Keystone became your full-time job? Where does the project stand now? Last summer, we saw that there was an RFP for a piece of land that was right along 18th Street. They were trying to figure out what they'd do with a three-acre parcel of land at, at 18th and Truce. It was actually Kansas City Area Transportation Authority's land, and they wanted to see if somebody had a vision for how to transform 18th Street between the East Crossroads and 18th and Vine. Well, that's exactly what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So that group um, that I described, uh, BNIM and JE Dunn Capital Partners and, and Keystone and then a couple other folks, we put in a proposal, and we actually were awarded that in October. So since then, the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority has been a fantastic partner, not just because they're the real estate owner, the landowner, but also from an innovation perspective. They really want to see what the next 20 years of transportation looks like in Kansas City. So how is the Keystone Innovation District going to impact infrastructure already in place in the area? And so our plan is, what is the existing building stock that you can use and maybe renovate and turn into programming space and then what do you need from a new construction perspective so it'll probably be a mix of both where we'll have some new construction like the project we're working on at 18th and Troost and then you'll have buildings like uh, the Wheatley Provident Hospital completely different developer that we're working with to try to find tenancy occupancy help them with programming once they get that building uh, up and running and so on so we kind of Anything that happens within the area, we want to try to connect the people that are in there and try to curate the kind of companies and the stakeholders that are present to try to accelerate this whole concept of uh, innovation collisions. Um, Because really Keystone will become a master planner and developer of this 150-acre parcel um, or, or parcels, if you will. We like to say we're hope we hope to create a front door for the innovation community in Kansas City. Um, it doesn't mean we're the end-all be-all and we're consolidating everything. It just means that we provide a starting point and we can help direct to the resources that are around. In what ways is the Keystone Innovation District going to influence entrepreneurs in Kansas City? Typically, entrepreneurs like being around other entrepreneurs. If you can build density, 
then you can provide resources in a more efficient way for the entrepreneurs. If you can build density, you can attract risk capital to locate there. So now entrepreneurs aren't hunting around the city for money. The money is kind of co-located with them. Um, and then you also have the opportunity to bring universities closer to the entrepreneurs, source of talent. Oftentimes startups are fighting with large companies for talent. And if we can find some way to co-locate them, it makes it easier for them to compete with top talent in a, in a market. Uh, and then the last thing is, you know, most startups are looking for a big brand as a customer. They want a big company. And so if we can find a way to efficiently attach or pair big companies to small companies and do that at scale, not just through a singular accelerator program, but kind of in a community basis, then that should help the entrepreneurs as well. Right. So you've spoken about how this is a generational project, almost 10 years in the making. How is the Innovation District going to impact future lives of Kansas Cityans? What I'm most hopeful for is that we have can have a, a profound impact on workforce development. And not just by creating stronger ties between our university partners that are going to be Keystone members in the industry, the corporations that are going to be there, but also by... Uh, really focusing on how do we um, help the local population? How do we help the underserved populations become equipped for the knowledge economy and really raise the median incomes and the average wages of people that today don't have access to some of those skills? Hopefully this becomes a place where you can go to get that kind of knowledge, that kind of information, and, and create inclusive prosperity here in Kansas City. That was Missouri Business Alert's Kansas City correspondent, Rashi Srivastava. And now, Seth, can you tell me about the story you reported on? Sure. So for years, the federal government enlisted hemp-derived products like CBD as illegal. But when federal regulations were changed in this last year's Farm Bill, it created opportunities to legally sell CBD. Oh, so how does that affect Missouri then? In Missouri, medical professionals can issue hemp extract registration cards for those who have epilepsy. But in Columbia and around the country, retailers also sell CBD products. For example, even Kroger and Walgreens plan to sell them now. I talked with Kristen Williams, the CEO and creative director of a Columbia startup called Hemsley. Oh, so what does Hemsley do? Why did you decide to talk to them? Well, it's a company that sells CBD, but also aims to educate the public about cannabinoids like CBD. I talked with Williams about why she started the company and the challenges her business faces. I grew up here in Columbia, Missouri, and was always a really, really good kid. I never talked in class, I got good grades, and I spent my free time doing things like youth group and mission trips. And it wasn't until I was in my second year of college when a good friend convinced me that I needed to do my own research about cannabis and try it for myself, because I was always very against drugs. Dare Dare did a good good one with me. (laughs) I was very scared. When I got to my second year of college, I had this friend that was getting in trouble at school for cannabis. And so I came back. I was away for school, college, and came back one weekend to give him a stern talking to. And he ended up lecturing me about how I didn't know what I was talking about and I needed to do my own research. And so it was someone I really trusted. So I took what they said to heart and did the research, tried it, and realized it wasn't what I had thought. Um, About a year later, I heard the story of Charlotte Figgy, who was a little girl who was having 300 gram mal seizures a week, and her parents were giving her CBD oil to subdue the seizures, and it was working. And I got to the end of reading this article, and I was just totally distraught over the public's backlash against this little girl's parents for giving her a drug or, um, you know, 
I, they, they were trying to send these parents to prison and trying to take this medicine away from this little girl, and I couldn't wrap my head around that. But coming from the background I do, I understood the public's concern, but I had also done all the research, and I understood why this little girl wasn't getting high, and I wanted to just help people understand because they clearly just didn't understand. Um, at the root of why cannabis and CBD works is this amazing system, the endocannabinoid system. And so um, I started doing graphic design work in the cannabis industry in 2013, just as a freelancer, and started traveling and learning lots and lots about the system and how cannabis interacts with it. And the more I learned, the more I wanted a way to bring that information back to my hometown and help the people who raised me, my own community. And so at the time, there really wasn't a resource that I felt comfortable sending my grandma or my neighbor down the street to because it wasn't going to make me look like a stoner or incriminate me in some way. And so I developed Hempsley as a resource that I could send those people to that just talked about the therapeutic and non-intoxicating benefits. Can you tell me about working in this kind of industry? What is it like? What does the landscape look like? It's ever-changing, always. You never really feel like you have the ground beneath your feet, solid ground. You know, CBD, whenever we first started in 2017, um, my original business plan with Hempsley was completely different in 2016 whenever I was working on launching it. In December 2018, the Farm Bill of 2018 passed and it removed CBD from the Schedule One drug list as long as it was derived from hemp. And this, this made everybody so happy. We were like, yes, okay, this is great. We can start selling CBD. Banks are still hesitant to work with CBD companies. Now, if you've got, if you're pulling in 250000 in sales a month, um, you're not considered high enough risk where they are going to, you know, ban you because it's, you know, there is profit there. But for us as a startup, this totally killed the alternate business plan that we had just decided to launch in January to start selling CBD. So it's been a challenge because, you know, our, our focus was going to be e-commerce and now it's um, more driving people into our office space and doing events where we can sell product and things like that. So it's just always adapting, always changing. <laughs> so if someone wants to get into the CBD industry, what do you think they need to know getting started? I would say get educated. Um learn about CBD. I can't tell you how many times I have talked to someone who wants to start a CBD business, but they don't know what terpenes and cannabinoids are. And that's very frustrating to me because those are some, especially in this landscape, I mean, there's enough research and knowledge out there now that you should be educating yourself and be able to educate the customers. I mean, there are lots of CBD businesses that don't know what cannabinoids and terpenes are, and that makes me angry because there are just a lot of people trying to sell CBD, jump on that bandwagon, and um, education is going to be what sustains you in the long run. So if you can't do the education, then you need to find someone who can, you know, talk to Hempsley or something. But um, education is a really important component to this, and maybe not right now, maybe in not, not the next two years, but if you want to sustain the test of time, I think education is going to be what sets the people who make it and the people who fall away apart. Now it's time to look at the numbers in Missouri startup news. Seth, can you give me your digits? Of course. My digit this week is eight. 
That's how long William K. Bush Brewing Company was in business before announcing its closure this week. The company, founded by Bush heir Billy Bush, sold Kraftig and Kraftig Light Beer. It had plans to open a 20,000-square-foot brewery in St. Louis area next year, but it will cease all operations. And that reflects one of the hard truths of entrepreneurship. Failure is a big part of it. And Isabel, your digits? My digits are 500,000. This is the dollar amount of tax credits given to seven Missouri business incubators by the Missouri Department of Economic Development. Donations made to these incubators for the remainder of the year can receive up to 50% back in tax credits, so long as they go to the eligible areas of the budget, like mentorship programs and infrastructure rehabilitation. Head to MissouriBusinessAlert.com for the list of recipients. Before we leave, I think it's about time for an inspirational quote. Isabel, can you give us one for the road? Of course. Okay, here it is. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's so much going on in Kansas City and the entrepreneurial space and all of these programs are so vital. So for me, I just, I really, really enjoy being kind of in the midst of as much of it as I can. That was Jeff Shackelford, who leads Digital Sandbox in Kansas City. He recently announced that he is leaving to head Mid-America Angels and the Fountain Innovation Fund. And that's all for this week. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Seth Bodine, and Isabel Robles. Our theme music was produced by Elliot Bowman. We'll speak to you next week. 